this weekend, there's truly no place on earth I'd rather be. I remember years and years ago, I got up to speak at our retreat one year, and on the front row was a woman who had been in the same locker room with me and seen me naked. So what happened as a result of that is I don't work out anymore. <laughs> but I am so much more confident standing here before you tonight because I think very few of you have seen me in that condition. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. It was the spring of 1990-something, and I was living in Portland, going to grad school, and much of my study I did in a corner booth at my favorite Burger King. The employees there knew me. My roommates knew where to find me in case of an emergency, and every Saturday there was an open invitation to my friends that they could come and have lunch with me. So on one particular Saturday, my friend Allison came, and we, I stopped my studying, and we got in line, and I ordered my Whopper No Tomatoes small fry, and then the Bladder Buster Diet Coke. <laughs> and we got our food, we went back to my corner booth, and I opened two ketchup packets, because that's how much ketchup it would take for my fries. And then I began to delicately open the straw. I found that crisscross cut in the lid of my drink, poked it in, pulled it to my bosom, <laughs> took a big long drag off of it, and then I guess I moaned. Because Allison looked at me really funny. And I said, what? There's nothing like the first drink of the day. <laughs> so then I kept eating, not performing for anyone. I grabbed my bladder buster drink, pulled it close to my heart again, took another drink, and evidently I moaned again because... <laughs> Allison looked at me disapprovingly, and then she said, yeah, there's nothing like the first sip of the day unless it's the second. <laughs> and what I want you to hear from me in this moment is I believe that's what God's word is like. Nothing like it. Whether this weekend is your first taste or whether you've been feasting on his word for decades, as we dive in together this weekend, we're going to find a unified thread running through scripture that points to the king of kings who longs to be the king of our hearts. He was present at creation. He was promised in the garden. He was foretold by the prophets. He was born in the gospels, lived a sinless life, died rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And at the end of time, just like we sang, he will come for you and for me. He's the king of kings and he longs to be the king of our hearts. He's on the throne of the entire universe directing ocean tides and planets and stars and nations and peoples. And yet he offers himself fully to you and to me. He longs to be declared the king of our hearts. He longs for that one-on-one -on -one relationship. He wants to lovingly guide us 
through the ins and outs of daily life. This weekend, I hope together we can learn more about this king. We want to consider whether we are truly willing to declare him king of our hearts no matter what. We'll consider what it cost him to be our king. And we'll look at how he provides for those of us who are in his kingdom. I realize that everything we talk about is going to hit each one of us where we are. That's just the way it is. We're here and it's going to be processing through us who we are right now. And I want to be honest with you. These things that I'll be talking about, I've been processing long and hard. And yet I'll continue to be processing right along with you this weekend. Who is the king to me? What does his reign in my heart mean? What does it look like? What does it look like? I'll try to share and describe some of those things. And to get us started, I do want to just let you have a little glimpse of my family so when I talk about these people later, you'll know a bit more who I'm talking about. So this first picture that I hope we have, this is my daughter, Sarah. She's 13. She was born after seven years of infertility and her love language is sugar, and she, she speaks many, many dialects. And she flew all the way to the East Coast as an unaccompanied minor to get that Sunday-at-your-own-plate thing with my niece. The next picture is my son, Daniel. He's 12 years old, and for several years at the pool where we swim, he stood over at the corner and just yelled, Guh, which he doesn't really have words, and so Guh means go. He yelled, Guh, for every kid jumping off the diving board. And finally this year, Daniel became a diving board jumper himself. Yeah, that's right. And, and what you can't see, littler kids took his place and stand at the corner of the deep end and they were yelling go for him when he would jump off. Next picture. Well, oh, and Daniel was born 16 and a half months after Sarah, after seven months of fertility. Next picture, Joshua. He was born three minutes after Daniel. And um, Daniel basically fell out. And I hope that's not too much for some of you. But for Joshua, the doctor gloved up further than I knew a glove could go. And then she reached in and pulled him out by the legs. And a couple weeks after that, I was in the hallway at church telling some coworkers, and one of them said, you know, I knew they did that with cows, but I didn't... <laughs> I didn't know they did it with babies. Well, this summer, Joshua was loving swinging, and I knew that God was getting a look we on the ground couldn't see. So I climbed up on top of our play structure and I took his picture and it hangs in our house now and that's what I believe God sees when Joshua Garlinger swings. So next, Nick and me, what do we do best? 
Back in the spring, we got to go away to the coast by ourselves and we were planning to lay out in the sun and all this and then it was cold and dark, but we did it anyway. <laughs> and, and if you look closely, the people at the sub shop we stopped at could tell we were so giddy. They asked, what are you guys doing? And when we told them we were away by ourselves, they labeled our subs his and hers. <laughs> And then the next picture, here's what we look like when we're not covered up at the Oregon coast. <laughs> this next picture I wanted you to see, the five of us in our family, kind of perfectly spaced, standing still, colors are just really looking good. We all get in the same frame about once every three years. So th this picture also now hangs in our house. This next picture does not hang in our house. <laughs> and, and if I had a laser pointer, uh, you know, we, we couldn't figure out how to get us all in the selfie. So we asked a stranger, and had we known what we looked like, we would not have done it. We, we, we got home, and I said, darling, you got to see this. And totally serious, Nick said, we know we belong in the back of the pictures from now on. So, what I want you to understand is, I believe when the five of us are perfectly spaced and the color is great and we're all standing still and I had on black and looked a little more trim, I believe the king of my heart is there with us. And then on Kaiser's front porch, which is what we call the Dairy Queen, it's where you go to see and be seen if you live in Kaiser, um... <laughs> On those days where we look like that, <laughs> shocking as this will be to some, the king of my heart is there too. When the angle is flattering or when the angle is not flattering, he's there with you and with me. My family has band concerts and field trips and school buses and jogathons and Sunday evening pizza dinners. But we also have very intense autism and epilepsy and sleep deprivation and work stress and aging parents and unknown futures. And I want you to hear the king of my heart is there. There's no place he will not go to be with me. There's no place he will not go to be with each and every one of us. No matter where you've been, no matter where you come from this weekend, the king of kings wants to be the king of your heart. He wants to reveal himself to you in new and deeper ways. He wants to love you like you have never been loved before. He wants to listen to you like you've never been listened to before. Who is Jesus? Who is the king? What can we know about him? If we're to put him on the throne of our heart, 
We need to understand more about him. And there's absolutely no way tonight that we could do an exhaustive study. That would be great, but we can't do that. We couldn't even do that in the weekend. But we can focus our attention tonight to make sure we're all on the same page so that we know what kind of king we're talking about. He's revealed to us in scripture in many, many ways, but one of those ways seems particularly frequent in the Bible. And that's when he's presented as shepherd, as the good shepherd. And we, the people, are presented as sheep. This imagery of the sheep and the shepherd, it's used in the Old Testament and it's used in the New Testament. Think about it. It's an animal that is kind of just famous for hanging out on a hillside. And a guy who's willing to lay down his life for that lamb. It's an animal that doesn't even know how to take off his own coat. And a guy who shears the wool just at the right time so the sweet little lamb won't be too hot or too cold. An animal that needs to be led and a guy who is willing to step up and take the commitment to lead. If you're very familiar with the Bible, maybe thoughts start running in your mind and some of those sheep and shepherd passages are coming to you and probably the most famous one of all is Psalm 23 and we're going to look at that in a couple minutes. But I want to be sure we understand David is the author of Psalm 23. God chose David to be the king of Israel while David was out tending sheep. It's, it's funny. David was called by God to be the genetic line through whom the Messiah, Jesus, the King of Kings, would come. But David wasn't always the King of Israel. He was at first an overlooked youngest son, forgotten, out with the goats and the lambs. He was a man who was anointed to be king who then lived life as a fugitive for more than a decade because the king that God was wanting to remove was out trying to kill David. So when David wrote Psalm 23, David was not doing a research paper as a student in a library filled with books. He was a real person whose life had necessitated that God would either show up or he wouldn't survive. He wouldn't make it. Whether it was when he was defending sheep from wild animals or defending himself from the schemes of King Saul. David didn't get to know God through a throne room in a palace. No, David got to know God through the rough and tumble of daily life. So when we approach Psalm 23, we need to realize this is an afterthought pondering back over the benefits of God in David's life. Amidst real dangers that were physical, emotional, and spiritual. Dangers that are separated from us by geography and by time and by circumstance, but really not so much different from the dangers that you and I face as women here in the Pacific Northwest, whether we're sisters or daughters or moms or friends, or fill in the blank. 
David reflects over his life. He ponders his God and he concludes that God offers persistent, loving protection. And again, this isn't a research paper from reading books. It's learned from his own life over the decades in relationship with God. Let's look at Psalm 23, the first few verses here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The Lord led David, not just in one instance, but season after season, year after year, all through his life. David was not directionless because God was willing to lead him like a good shepherd would lead. David's shepherd king made him rest at times. Maybe David was wanting to go too much of a hard charge all the time and God took him on detours that were unexpected and he wound up by quiet streams, by quiet waters. God restored David from sin, from exhaustion, from the ongoing rigors of life. God led David in ways that would point other people to God, and God used David in ways that would point other people to God. God disciplined David when it was necessary, the rod and the staff. And David said that because of God in his life, he feared no evil. Because of God in his life, he feared no evil. Let's look at verse 5. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. The Lord provided for David, not just when things were going well, David has this season of his life where enemies are chasing him literally for more than a decade and God provided a meal for David right in the presence of the enemies. God didn't remove the danger or immediately rescue David. He just provided amazingly for David. I picture David somewhere out in the wilds at a big big long table pulling back on a big turkey leg and the enemies are all around but they can't get to him while he's feasting. That's the picture of who God was to David. We don't have time to go back and look at all the scriptures but you have to believe that when Saul was chasing David and kept not catching him at least to some degree Saul realized God was with David. God was providing for David. Even when David was cut off, it was obvious to onlookers, God was at work, even when David's situation 
seemed bleak. God anointed David's head with oil. He brought refreshment. He soothed David. If there was anyone on the planet that had reason for stress sweats, it was David. But all the while his situation seemed bleak. God was sustaining David in the midst of it. God didn't rescue David out of it, but he sustained and sheltered David in it. And then verse 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. David responded in faith. Across the span of his life, David realized that God's perfect love would go with him. Goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. They would be David's companions, his traveling buddies. David didn't cling to a promise that all would be comfortable. That isn't one of God's promise. But across the decades of his life, David reached the conclusion and David literally experienced that God never abandoned him and God did not forgive him. In fact, David trusted in this otherworldly promise, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's the stress of today that's real And there's the future reality that's even more real. David had a king in his heart. And David knew that he was secure with his king. David didn't look to his family or friends to fill his cup. He didn't rely on his emotions to fill his cup. He didn't wait for circumstances to fill his cup. No, David was a realist. He saw his situation clearly for what it is. And in the midst of it, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. There's a king in my heart. My cup overflows. What David learned of God while tending sheep caused David to let God tend him. What David learned of God while tending sheep caused David to let God tend him. David had said other, other places in scripture that when a lion or a bear came and carried off one of his sheep, he would go after that wild animal. He would stop at nothing to get the sheep back. So that's the kind of belief he had in his heavenly father. David understood better than anyone what it meant to be a shepherd. His bar would have been set high for the job. And the shepherd who learned how to be a king by tending flocks found a king for his own heart, found a shepherd for his soul in God. There's another place in the Psalms that David wrote just his descriptions of who he came to know God to be. And again, remember, David didn't write this from a throne in the palace. It's more likely that he was in a sleeping bag hiding in a cave when he wrote. He had suffered hardships when he stood up for what was right, maybe like hardships you face. 
He worked hard to protect his sheep, like so many moms protecting their kids. He faced challenges day in and day out that were scary to everybody who looked. Maybe like some of the challenges that you face or that I face. He was anointed by God to be the next king, but it was over a decade before his coronation ever happened. Maybe that's like longing for a husband, and yet men just don't seem to notice you. No matter what David faced, God revealed himself to David. God showed up for David in each unique situation. When David was a shepherd boy, when he was a warrior leading armies, when he was the king of Israel, when he was caught in sin, God was always there for David. And David let God be there. David's heart had a king. The throne of King David's heart had the king of kings sitting on it. A quick look at a couple verses from Psalm 36. This is David writing again, Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. King David had a king. He, and David's king expressed love that reached higher than the mountains. David had experienced enough of God's justice to know that it would plumb the depths of the ocean. And God's faithfulness was steady to the moon and back, as the children's book says. God never failed David. And when we read these psalms, we can know they've been battle-tested. We are not the first ones to put God to the test, so to speak. Jesus also used the sheep and shepherd analogy. He expressed a reality more than 2,000 years ago that is still a reality for you and me today. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Centuries ago, when Jesus would have been teaching this, he was teaching on life and belief and security, and the crowd didn't have to look far to look out on the surrounding hills and see the sheep and the shepherds. So what Jesus was telling them would have made sense to them. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. When someone declares Jesus to be the king of their heart, they can trust that he will speak to them. They'll hear from him. Jesus said that his sheep follow him. So when someone says Jesus will be the king of my heart, they can count on him to lead. If he's asking the lamb to follow, they can count on him to lead. 
And then Jesus makes these otherworldly promises. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No amount of sin, no amount of stumbling, wandering, no amount of difficulty in your life, no amount of condemnation from the peanut gallery, no amount of accusation against you. The lamb who belongs to Jesus, the woman who gives him the throne of her heart, can never be snatched away. He's an eternal king who gives eternal life, and it includes eternal relationship. You and I can experience these things with the king of our hearts today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. Who is this king who wants to be the king of our hearts? He's Jesus, the, the king of all kings, and he's eager to be with you. He's eager to be with me. David in the Psalms and then Jesus in the Gospels, they both make it clear that the security of the lamb is found in the character of the shepherd. My heart can and will be safe because of the king sitting on my heart's throne. He's a good king. He's a loving king. He's a leader king. Consider this question with me. What difference does it make if I crown Jesus the king of my heart? The first thing, he will set me free. Think about that. A lamb on the hillside, free to be who he was created to be. No expectations other than he just be a lamb. This relationship between you and King Jesus, between me and King Jesus, it's not performance-based. I don't earn Jesus I'm not at risk for losing Jesus. I can just be. He sets me free to be just me. The second thing, my security will be found in his ability, not my own. My emotional security, my spiritual security, my physical, my mental security. If he doesn't show up for me, I'll have no hope, but he will show up. And the third thing, what difference does it make if I crown him king of my heart? He'll restore me. He'll return me to the better place when I've lost my way. He'll restore me from hurts. He'll restore me from my own sin, from the sins of others against me. He'll restore me. He'll restore you from exhaustion, from wandering. Let me close with this story. Several years ago, Nick had our son Daniel at a playground, a playground that was encircled by thick woods and through the woods was a river with a current. And it 
Turns out that there were a lot of little boys with buzz cuts and gray t-shirts there that day because all of a sudden, the boy with the buzz cut and the gray t-shirt that Nick was watching turned around and it wasn't Daniel. Daniel had wandered off out of the playground into the woods. Of course, Nick was sick. He called the police immediately and they, Kaiser police got over there as fast as they could. They asked how long had Daniel been missing and based on what Nick told them, they set up a perimeter with six police cars just the right distance. They knew what they were doing. They asked Nick for a picture of Daniel and he pulled his wallet out and showed and then said, wait, that's Joshua. And then said, wait, they're identical. It doesn't matter. He looks like this. (laughs) And then no kidding, the officer said to Nick, what was the boy wearing? And Nick said, well, you know, that's really funny. He has on a t-shirt and it says stronger and faster than last year. (laughs) So Daniel had gone into the woods and Kaiser police went in after him. And after what seemed like an eternity, here came Daniel, scratched up and kind of mad, and several officers in blue. We, we brought Daniel home. He got a bath. Nick and I recovered, and eventually we all sat down to dinner. And due to all kinds of feeding issues, Daniel had never eaten table food, grown-up food. But on this particular night... I kid you not, he reached over and grabbed a hunk of tri-tip right off my plate and took a big bite of it. And Nick said, he went into the woods a boy, but he came out a man. (laughs) I don't think for a minute that Daniel knew then, and I don't think for a minute that he knows now, just how much he needed Nick that day. Nick made the calls. Nick got the help. Nick did everything that was necessary to look for Daniel, to call the police for Daniel, to not give up for Daniel, to give Daniel his first (laughs) tri-tip. And it's just a glimpse of what you and I get when we offer the throne of our heart to the King of Kings. We need him more than we realize to look for us, to not give up on us, to take care of us. He's a good king. He's a perfect king. And he longs to be invited to be our personal king.